This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. The New York Rangers need a win on home ice. So far, so good. They're up 2-0 on the Senators early in the second period. Zuccarello and Grabner have the goals. Ottawa leads that series two games to nothing. The Blues and Predators will face off later on tonight in Nashville. The Preds are up 2-1 in that series. Thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 630 Ched. The Oilers were back at practice today. They went for about an hour, which is longer than usual, certainly working on some... uh, some uh, schemes to get some good habits back into their game after a lackluster performance on Sunday against the Ducks. Obviously, a lot of special teams work as well. We'll get deeper into that story as we move along tonight. Kelly Rudy is uh, going to join us to break down some of the things he has seen from the Oilers and around the NHL. And, of course, the big story today, Sidney Crosby, it is a concussion. He's been ruled out for tomorrow's game against Washington. Here's his head coach, Mike Sullivan. Sid's been diagnosed. Diagnosed with a concussion, and uh, he will be out for tomorrow's game, and uh, we will evaluate him day to day from there. We're going to take each day as it comes. We're going to take the one game right in front of us. We're going to try to do our very best to win that game. You know, we're, listen, we got a good hockey team here, and uh, you know, we we have. Uh, we have a two to two games to one uh, lead in the series. We're proud of how our guys played uh, last night. We th- we love their compete level. We love the resilience that this team shows in the face of adversity and the challenges that this group um, is presented with. They always respond the right way. There's no doubt in my mind we'll do that again. We've got character guys. We've got people that we know we can win with, and and so you know we'll put a lineup on the on the ice tomorrow night that we believe in, well, and uh, and. And we'll we'll go into that game uh, doing everything within our power to try to get that win. Well, here's the thing. Crosby or not, the Penguins have a good team. They can win without him. Are they as good without Crosby? Well, obviously not. But I'm not going to sit here and, and hand that series to the Capitals from a you know, pure hockey ability perspective. Obviously, this raises a larger debate about suspensions, about punishment, about headshots, about treatment of star players. And it's funny because the Oilers are now blessed with the guy who's likely going to win the Hart Trophy this season. He already has led the NHL in scoring. If if you don't label him as the best player in the NHL, then I think you put him on a pretty short list. Uh, I would argue that Connor McDavid is the most skilled player in the NHL, if maybe he's not quite the most well-rounded. Uh, so he's a star player. 
and the Oilers back in the playoffs after a long absence, so you as fans are being exposed to your favorite team being in again, and you're being exposed to your star player obviously being the guy the other teams want to shut down. And what's what's one way they do that in hockey? With uh, little shots, with little slashes, with an extra little cross-check in the corner, with a slash to the back of the leg when you're skating back up ice. All that kind of stuff that happens in hockey and that I would think you would want Oilers to do to star players on other teams. And it really does come down, I think, to a matter of perspective. And Rob and I, after games and discussion on Inside Sports as well, a lot of it has been about the officiating and protecting the star players and just calling some of the junk that happens. And then there's the other side of it. Ducks coach Randy Carlisle in Kelowna today. That's where they're practicing. Flying back to Edmonton tonight. So here's what Randy Carlisle had to say. I'm just going to read this quote. To me, it seems like there is somewhat of a white glove treatment for Mr. McDavid. The restrictions on anyone touching him seem to be a little higher than normal. It's fact. Simple. We review the tape numerous times. He draws penalties because of his speed. But if you get close to him and you're not inside him, you're going to watch him or you're going to try to impede his progress. That's from Randy Carlisle, the coach of the Ducks, lobbying and claiming... The exact opposite of what any Oilers fans would say. We're wondering why there aren't more calls for the things that happened to McDavid, who did, of course, lead the NHL in the regular season in minor penalties drawn. But here's here's the key part. It seems like there is a somewhat of a white glove treatment for Mr. McDavid. The restrictions on anyone touching him seem to be a little higher than normal. That's from the coach of the Anaheim Ducks. I bet you, as Oilers fans listening, you're shaking your head or going, What the? So, the hit on Crosby, it happened fast. I don't think it was targeted. I don't think Niskanen was out there to injure him. He was penalized on the play. I, I know somebody texted in, why is there not more scrutiny on Ovechkin who was back-checking on the play and his stick got up high on Crosby's arm and bounced off his helmet as well. Crosby's off balance, you know, down lower than usual. Niskanen comes back and, and hits him and he goes into the ice. He got kicked out of the game and it's, it's one of those things. What do you want your defenseman to do? You want him to clear the front of the net. And Sidney Crosby is one of the most dangerous players you can have near the front of the net. If Matt Niskanen comes back on that play and doesn't touch Sidney Crosby and the puck squirts in front of the net and Crosby scores, Niskanen probably doesn't play much the rest of the night. And that's and that's what we're dealing with here. I, I don't know how we, we put everything back into the bottle from over 100 years of hockey. I guess it's 100 years of the NHL now, but the hockey was around... Longer than that. Stanley Cup's been around longer than that. You know, I, I don't know how we even start putting it back in where we try to eliminate body contact and aggression and intimidation. I, I just don't know how that happens. And I'm not happy about star players getting hurt. I'm not happy about McDavid going down last year when, when you know, he, he and Manning crumpled into the boards. But I mean, I'm open to your opinions on this. I don't know how we now take the game of hockey and start telling players, uh, don't hit, or if you think this guy's a really good player, 
don't hit them because because you're going to get in trouble because all of a sudden it's not hockey anymore. Now, I think the BS that happens with uh, stick work after the whistle or, you know, sucker punches and all that stuff, the uh, Nyquist high stick earlier this season, you know, the, the suspensions for those should be harsher. I mean, I mean, I think if you look back what Nyquist did to Spurgeon, you know, looking up at him and driving the stick into his cheek, that's extremely dangerous and should have been more than the games that he got. What did he get, six or eight? I don't remember. Should have been tons. But I, I don't know how, as, as, as hockey people, you, you would tell Matt Niskanen, okay, back check, but don't touch anybody. You know, let Crosby stand there. And that was a pretty fast play. I don't, I don't think it was necessarily premeditated or he's hoping to hurt him. You can text 780-496-0063. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Jeff says, hey, Reed, regarding the NHL seemingly suffocating talent, it always seems to be the offensive talent that gets hit. Why is this? Are goalies so sensitive that they can't handle being an elite goaltender unless they can get a certain number of shutouts each year or have a particularly low goals against average? How many goals are scored in a typical lacrosse game? What would be so terrible about NHL games being 15-11 or 18-13 instead of always 2-1 or 3-2? Is the only issue about restricting offense that we are worried about the ego of goaltenders because fans would love more goals? Well, that's another debate, too, about scoring chances versus goals. What exactly is offense? I mean, the Oilers have won games in the playoffs 2-0 and 1-0, and I didn't hear anybody complaining. (laughs) They won another game 2-1. I think hockey is a sport that has always highlighted good goaltending, and I think it is a sport that has always highlighted aggression and perseverance and battling. And I think if hockey became a sport where, and let's face it, unlike a lot of, now I know lacrosse has, box lacrosse has boards, but it's not as fast as hockey. I mean, hockey's a game where you can't go out of bounds. How much of the game is played in a confined area along the boards where you're up against another guy and it comes down a lot of times to determination, body positioning, and sometimes, yeah, maybe given a little shot that's not quite legal but not quite a penalty in order to get the puck and keep the puck alive. So I, I, I understand what Jeff is saying, but I don't know if fans, I don't know if fans really would win. You guys are fans. You can tell me. I don't know if you really want the alternative of uh, a crazily wide-open game that has... Uh, limited hitting or deters hitting. We have Charlie on the phone line. Charlie, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Charlie, are you there? Hello. Hi, go ahead, Charlie. Hey, it's Kennedy. Oh, Kennedy, sorry. All right, well. No no worries. Uh, I just wanted to (laughs) chat about cross-checking and how it seems to be rampant in the last few years. Sure. Remember, uh, I think it was Jeff Petrie coming into the zone and got cross-checked right in the kidney, thrown into the boards, no call. And in the last few years, it seems like guys just get away with it. It's a defensive scheme now. Just hold your stick up. And the amount of leverage you can get with a cross-check is just ridiculous. And, and if you look at the Niskanen hit on Crosby, he's basically going in there. That's how he would have hit him, whether he was standing upright or crouched over. 
But if you take that cross-check out of the game, Niskanen doesn't cross-check Crosby in the face. He just tries to shoulder him or shoves him or pushes him or something less aggressive. Well, maybe. I mean, I'd like to see, like I was just saying, I'd, I'd like to see less stick work, but I wouldn't like to see less body checking and less battling. But in hockey, I mean, the stick is a huge part of what players use, right? And, you know, and it seems to me, Kennedy, the closer you get to the net, the more you're allowed to do with your stick. Now, a lot of fans are going to say, again, disagree with that, but that's, that's my observation from watching the game for a long time. I agree. What about the Getzlaff cross check on Nurse? Like, if that's no, if no cross check is allowed, he's got to drop a shoulder into him, or he's got to bear hug him, or something. But the, right. the cross check's just there's a green light, and I hate it. Kennedy, fair point. Thanks for calling, buddy. Thanks. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Still two nothing for the Rangers in the second period. We could take a quick timeout. Six seventeen. Inside Sports on Chet. This is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, we'll talk more about Jordan Everly in a few minutes. Rangers leading Ottawa 2-0. They're halfway through the game as the uh, Sens, or the uh, Rangers try to get the first win in that series. Ottawa up two games to nothing. The Blue Jays in tough tonight, trailing the Yankees 6-0. That's in the bottom of the fourth. Connor McDavid is a finalist for the Ted Lindsay Award. That's the most outstanding player in the NHL as voted on by the Players Association. The other finalists are the injured Sidney Crosby and Brent Burns from the San Jose Sharks. My name is Reed Wilkins. Good to talk to you tonight. Uh, we'll speak more about the Oilers' line combinations as well as we move along. Kelly Rudy's going to check in, but we have Phil on the open line, 780-496-0063. Phil, thanks for listening. Go ahead. And just thinking about this whole thing with the, uh, with the star players getting hit. As I recall, back in the early 80s when Gretzky had Cement had Semenko protecting him, nobody really went after him until Semenko left. If we bring fighting back and they police themselves, you know, you hit the star player, you go out with a broken nose. It's a, it's a good way to police the game. You don't have to change it. Just let them go at it again. Well, you raise an interesting point about the instigator rule. And, and I mean, I, I, I don't think, Phil, I mean, I watched those games too. I don't, I don't think it was accurate that Gretzky never got touched. You know, I mean, he was body checked. He was hit. And some, you couldn't always do something about it. But, uh, yeah, if there was something excessive, and some players did under get under Gretzky's skin, like Neil Sheehy, you probably remember that. Yeah. Uh, didn't he wear number zero, by the way, at some point in his career? I don't, I don't recall. All I remember <laughs> is Gretzky getting walloped. I think it was in 86, 86 or 87, and that was the first time he ever got really laid right out. Real heavy hit. And uh, that was kind of when I saw it all change, when I thought, oh, geez, now the, now the star players don't have that protection anymore and that was before they started taking fighting out but still it was it was just an odd thing to see him get run and it was a legal hit it just it was ugly yeah and i think back and i go man you know i remember shamenko coming out and just tuning in going at it with uh, tiger williams out of Vancouver all the time and he pleaded he just said you you go near my guy and i'm going to make sure that you don't go near him again for the rest of the game it's just like hitting somebody hard in the corner yeah, well, it hasn't been that way for a while. I mean, even some, I know there was a lot, still a lot of fighting in the early '90s, but I think once we got into the into the dead puck era, there was a lot less fighting. And I mean, Brett Hall complained about 
the obstruction and, and all that, and Mario Lemieux had stuff to say. And that was kind of when they, you know, as Gretzky was near the tail end of his career and you had a little more Lemieux and Hall and Yager and those guys uh, as, as the stars. Phil, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. 780-496-0063. We also have Gord on the line. Hello, Gord. Hello. Go ahead, Gord. Hey, I was just talking, thinking about that cross-checking. And, uh, you know, why isn't cross-checking a lot like lacrosse, where you guys can put your stick on them and push and get them out of the way? But why does it have to be like a attacking force? Why does it have to, in lacrosse, that's a penalty? Right. In lacrosse, you can, correct me if I'm wrong, you can move your stick forward, place it on a guy, and then it kind of has to stop, and then you're allowed to push from there, right? Yeah, exactly. And you can't, do it clo- you can't do it close to the boards, just like hockey, right? That's right, yeah. And so you can't use it as a weapon, but you can use it to push your opponent out of the way. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they then they they kind of let you're kind of allowed to push a guy with your stick in hockey if it's not too much of a of a force, but yeah, it's not exactly the same as as lacrosse. Do you coach lacrosse gord or played? Is that how you know about it? Yeah, well, my daughter played lacrosse, right? And and so I got to get into the game and learn the rules, right? But, uh, you know, I look back at the Gretzky days, too. Gretzky's back went on him right away. And I, I think that was strictly from being cross-checked all the time, right? It was He took a beating out there. Yeah. Gord, appreciate your opinion, man. Thanks for calling. Okay. 780-496-0063. Uh, quickly read a couple texts here. Darcy says, uh, Reed, I sure hope McDavid never tries to stand in front of the opposition net with the puck in his feet and his head down. He will lose that battle 10 times out of 10. Keep your head up. Dumb play by Crosby. He made himself vulnerable. Haji says, uh, Reed, why are you intimating that calling the cross checks are akin to discouraging body contact and aggression? Reps are, reps are programmed to call the annoying hooks and tend to let the cross-checks go. Now an illegal cross-check has removed a superstar from the playoffs. One if one of Kessler's neutral zone cross-checks causes a severe injury to McDavid away from the play. As witnessed last night, it's too late after an injury happens. Call a couple of cross-checks early, and these plays disappear. These are not hockey plays. That's a text from Haji to 630-630. Rangers have just scored. They go up 3-0 in the game. They're in control there. We'll keep you updated. We'll hear a little bit from Everly and McClellan and Kelly Rudy is going to join us as well. It's Inside Sports on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Rangers leading Ottawa late in the second period. Predators and Blues later on tonight. Oilers and Ducks tomorrow. Right now you can visit 630ched.com and enter to win your way into tomorrow's home game against the Anaheim Ducks. Contest will close at 4 p.m. tomorrow. Listeners can enter once per hour. 630ched.com. There you go. You can reach me here by texting 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. The Oilers' lines at practice today, very familiar. McDavid between Maroon and Dreisaitl. Nugent Hopkins, Lucci, Cheberly, Latestu, Kajula, Cassian, DeHarnay, Pouliot, and Slepeshev. Remember, they shuffled things up 
uh, when they fell behind against Anaheim on Sunday. Dreisaitl was with Nuge and Maroon. McDavid was with Lucic and Eberle, but McClellan goes back to the lines that have pretty much been intact for uh, several weeks. Jordan Eberle, though, tough game. Tough playoffs offensively. He has just two assists in nine games. I'm an offensive guy. Um, I, I, I'm my own worst critic. Um, you know, obviously, I want to be putting the puck in the net. You can be great defensively and and uh, and do good board work and, and all that. But um, I'm a goal scorer. I got to put the puck in the net. And, and I think to a man, uh, for me to do that, I mean, you know, I need to get a little grittier, find a way to jump in and find some loose pucks around the net. Um, our line, obviously. Has played well defensively and checked against their top line but um, I've said it all along if we can score and contribute and be plus players while doing that um, we'll be a tough team to beat all right well we continue the dialogue we've had throughout much of the season what if Nugent Hopkins and Everly and Lucic started doing a little more and I think we also continue the dialogue we've had through a lot of Jordan Everly's career what if he became a player that could get to the net a little more and score a little bit more that way. I don't know if we're all of a sudden going to see that dramatic change in the next two or three playoff games. Here's Todd McClellan when asked about Everly today. You know, we met a number of times during the season, but we met again in the playoffs. And um, at times, you can fall back on the things you're doing well, which you need to be doing all the time. It's not just evolving those skills now six years into the league. Uh, those checking skills, those board work skills, the, uh, the responsibility skills um, have improved and we need them to stay in his game. But there's the other side of the, the puck and um, we don't want him to play a high risk, low reward game. We want him to play uh, with a little bit of risk and a high reward game so he's got to learn when to uh or get better at not learn because he knows how find the holes uh hit the holes at the right time uh find secondary opportunities in and around the blue paint uh power play he's got to execute better um so put a little pressure on him in that situation uh to produce offensively all right and as we are playing that clip the Rangers scored and then Ottawa scored, so it's now 4-1 New York late in the second period. I, I think Todd was fair there. I, I think Jordan Everly has become a better checker. He's not an elite-level checker, uh, you know, and there are a lot of offensive players who aren't. I mean, he hit the 20-goal plateau with four goals in his last two games, um, but it was a it was a tough night on on Sunday. I mean, he didn't he didn't check very well. And his offensive chances, good offensive chances, were, were pretty much non-existent. Having said that, I think there were several players who didn't have a good game on Sunday. So I think there's the small picture discussion about how the team as a whole has to play and the things they have to work on for tomorrow. And then I think there's the big picture discussion about, you know, Everly's play, his career development, and, you know, down the road, does he fit in with the type of team that McClellan and Shirelli want to have? We'll probably have that discussion more in the offseason. It's 6.38 every week on Inside Sports. We're joined by former NHL goaltender Kelly Rudy, now with the NHL on Rogers. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Fantastic. Reed, yourself? I'm doing quite well. Oilers back at Great. practice today, uh, working hard to, to get ready for Game 4, and uh, I want to talk to you about that, but... Uh, a dominant conversation today, unfortunately, is uh, another injury, another concussion for Sidney Crosby, and a lot of debate about uh, what happened 
on that play. Uh, I mean, a, a, an aggressive play by Niskanen Kelly. Uh, I don't know if in the in that split second he's thinking he has a chance to injure him or, or hurt him. But uh, you've been in those uh, in those battles and had a lot of stuff happening right around your crease as a goaltender. Yep. What did you see there? I saw the best player in the game, uh, or. I guess people in Edmonton might disagree with that with McDavid, and I'm okay with that. But uh, I saw Sidney Crosby going hard to the net with a fabulous scoring opportunity, and it would be Niskanen's job or anybody's uh, job at that point to try and make contact. Now, my personal opinion is that it was not intentional to have his stick hit Crosby where it did. Uh, it just happened so quickly. You look at uh, the hit from Ovechkin, uh, that could have been called uh, for high sticking. It wasn't the original slash. It was the second one that got uh, Crosby up high. Uh, if that would have been called a two-minute penalty, I certainly could have lived with that. Uh, it was a really aggressive play by Ovechkin at that point to try and make contact also. Um, but to me, when you look at it, and I'm not sure, Reed, if you saw the uh, the clip that Nick Kipros did last night postgame, he, he showed really well how unfortunately for Crosby, the the events leading up to it sort of caused him to lose his balance. And it wasn't the slash from Ovechkin. It was that their their feet met. And that was what got Crosby uh, off center. And that's why uh, he was in a prone position. And that's when Niskanen went to hit him with what I thought was going to be a legal check. Um, I don't think he expected Crosby to be in that position when they made contact. And as uh, Nick, again, he's been in that position. I haven't. Uh, he said that uh, because his hands were so close together, it didn't look like an intentional cross-check because typically guys widen their, their hands. And uh, I think we've all seen that over the years. And so in this case, uh, it was unfortunate There's Crosby is in that position. And, and I am glad personally that there's no suspension, no hearing. Well, what do you think of the assertion by by Rob Rossi, who you know is a is a uh, columnist for who covers the Pittsburgh Penguins? You know, he's he's certainly suggesting that obviously that it increases the Capitals' chances of winning if Crosby mm-hmm. doesn't play. I mean, that's that's obvious. Yep. But the suggestion that they're going out of their way to perhaps injure Crosby because that gets into the whole debate of targeting star players, how they should be protected by teammates and or the league. But but do you think a team would ever kind of assemble and say, let's, let's do something severe to this guy and maybe we hurt him? Do you think something like that would actually happen? No. And uh, so I, I did not read the article. I've been told... By a number of people, and uh, uh, in fact, I didn't read it for a reason because I thought it was just ridiculous. <laughs> and so, um, you know, when when I was told, and again, this is just information passed on to me. He suggested in the uh, article that in the players-only meeting that happened in after Game Two, the Capitals uh, sort of discussed the thoughts that uh, they have to go after Crosby. I can tell you, I've been in many of those players-only meetings. And I've never heard of anything, never a suggestion like that, not even in playoffs, about how to, that we need to increase our chances by injuring somebody. Now, certainly about playing hard, but typically um, those meetings aren't about the other team. They're usually, because you're in a situation that is uh, on the brink of something bad, Uh, you've been playing poorly, Uh, you need some sort of discussion to find your way out of it. And in the pregame show yesterday, 
my thoughts were this is probably what happened in that uh, players-only meeting. The discussion would have been somebody would have taken charge because somebody usually does. Uh, and then it's redefining roles. So I'm going to really make it re- really simple. So, for instance, uh, they'll go around the room and say, well, Ovi, you're a scorer. You've got to score. Backstrom, you're a playmaker. You've got to make plays. Because that's off, you're a little bit of both. You've got to make some plays. You've got to set people up, but you've got to bury your chances. Oshi, you've got to play hard. That's what you do. You're, you're a scorer, so you have to chip in. But your number one thing is to play hard. And they pick you hit everybody and, and it just really defines it's very very simple it you know if you're you have to muck it up go muck it up but that's your role and and that's what i saw in the game yesterday i saw a more determined washington team that figured out what each individual has to do and if everybody does that individually collectively you have more success i did not see a team that uh, intentionally targeted crosby nor malkin or anybody uh with the intent to injure Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. You know, the the officiating always comes up at this time of year because the intensity of the game increases. Guys know they they could potentially see an opponent every shift for seven games in a row, so you mm-hmm. don't want to back down, and maybe you want to get an extra shot in or an extra slash in. Certainly, Connor McDavid has faced that, and he gives it back sometimes. I mean, with a little stick yep. or whatever. The, and I and I think that, and I know some people don't like to hear this. I, I think that gamesmanship is part of the game, and the yep. refs have the refs learn or, or they know the the tone of the game and when they have to enforce it. And I think they really watch for stuff after whistles. The stuff that was mind-boggling to me, Kelly, yep. was Ryan Getzlaff tackling Connor McDavid in Game Two and then blatantly tripping Ryan Nugent Hopkins twice in Game Three including once when Nuge is right in the score zone with a chance to take a shot from position A, as they call it. That kind of stuff makes me wonder what's going on and if a player like Getzlaff is somehow getting a break from the Zebras. That's always difficult because, um, you know, frankly, uh, I've always been of the mindset, and I think I've discussed this with you before, that on occasion the optics certainly look as though uh, somebody's getting a raw deal and somebody's getting away with it, whether it's because he's a respected veteran or what. But Al Arbor always taught me the right thing. And uh, never worry about what happens with the officials. Most often, everything evens out. And I know you're, you or your, some of your listeners will say, well, Kelly's copping out. I'm not. If you would have listened to me uh, 30 years ago, uh, when I learned those lessons from Al Arbor, I would have said the exact same thing. And, and the good thing about that. When you have that mindset, especially when you're a player, you don't allow frustration to set in then uh, on the ice because of a missed call. There's always going to be missed calls. There's always going to be the perception that, hey, this team isn't getting the breaks, the official doesn't like you, or what have you. And uh, that that's never going to change. It's been that way for 100 years, and it's going to be that way for another 100 years. So you have to find a way to play through it and hope that the tide turns if you feel that is actually happening and uh, move on. You, you focus on what you can do. Um, now, if the Oilers do believe that's the case, I know what I would be doing. I'd be having my captain going over to the officials every single game right near the start, and I'd, I'd let them know what's going on, what we feel as a team, just to put them on alert 
that, hey, you know what, here's what we think is going on, here's what's happening, um, and keep in mind, the officials follow the series, so they right. know exactly what's going on as well and what people might be thinking. So I think it's just a, a, a passionate fan base. I've heard some of those things, even though I'm here in Toronto, and I'm not going to disagree. I'm just going to say that uh, I think there's a, a better approach to um, viewing it in a sense. All right. In terms of what the Oilers can control, they can control their own uh, ability to check and pursue the puck and make it difficult for the Ducks. I really thought they got away for that for most of uh, Game 3. You know, I know Jordan Eberle's under fire. I don't think he was the only one in that category, though, in Game 3. And, I mean, I think, I know Todd McClellan has talked about playing fast, hard, and supportive. That's the identity he wanted to establish. I think I can sum up what Todd McClellan wants from a team in two words. Everyone checks. And check doesn't mean blasting a guy into the fifth row all the time, but it means you got to engage. you gotta, you got to at least tie the battle, or you got to at least delay what the Ducks want to do. And I think for the Oilers, it was a much, I don't know what you saw, I thought it was a much too passive game in the checking department on Sunday night. 100%. I just didn't think that the Ducks had to earn their, their scoring chances. Uh, they, they were given a lot of uh, easy chances, and they are such a talented team that they're going to convert. So I think the message is pretty simple that, uh, in particular, the one area I think that you can get a really good start is you have to win puck battles. I, I mean, I say it all the time, but that's really what this game boils down to in a lot of situations. Sure, it's about positioning and a bunch of other things, but if you're going to win, uh, say, 70% of the puck battles, you're going to be in pretty good shape. So uh, I think that's the number one area of concern to me. Everything else will fall in line. They were, they were out of sorts as soon as Raquel scored, scored that goal 25 seconds in, though. There's no question about that. I think all the Oilers fans in the building felt that same thing. Uh, in fact, uh, I thought the Oilers, uh, conversely, did a really nice job getting back into the game because I didn't think that was going to be possible. But uh, they did a nice job of fighting back to get it 3-3. And then they had uh, that strange goal that was scored uh, by Wagner. And then it all just fell through. Give John Gibson credit, though. Um, he... he played really well. The Oilers had a big push there and I didn't think Gibson was going to be able to shut the door after he gave up the third. I'm still unsure about him. I know that he's a supremely talented goaltender, but I'm still not sure about where he is. I know he's only 23 years old, so I have to be patient when I try and evaluate him. So lots of stuff to discuss with that series still. He made five grade-A saves after it was 4-3, and Talbot yep. let in a highly un... I mean, you could probably count on one hand the number of back-breaking goals Talbot has let in this mm-hmm. season, and, and that was... I mean, he was going wide. and I, I mean, yeah. is he trying to bunt that out into the slot to maybe turn something the other way? Is that what he's thinking? Because I'm sure he knew no. it was going wide. What's going on? You know what? He got caught. His eyes got tricked because when Wagner was in his... Uh, uh, when he was uh, swinging his stick towards the puck, he, I'm sure you noticed Pouliot kind of lifted it a little bit. And so Wagner was going from what was going to be uh, a full slap shot to probably like a 35% slap shot, and that completely fooled Talbot's eyes, and, and he was way ahead of it. So he just got his uh, blocker out too far, and uh, Craig Simpson, I thought, did a great job analyzing that play also, he talked about the same sort of thing, that it was just a... It had Pouliot not got a stick in there, I'm sure that 
uh, goal or that shot wouldn't have even been close to going in the net. All right. Well, I think Cam's going to bounce back. He's done it all year. Kelly, yep. thanks so much for your time, man. Enjoy the games tonight. We'll talk to you next week. You got it, Reed. Thanks, bud. That's Kelly Rudy checking in. He's following the Rangers and the Senators tonight. New York up 4-1 after two now. Blues and Predators coming up at 7.30. Ched time. 6.51. A little more comments from uh, the Oilers after practice today. You'll hear from Connor McDavid. Inside Sports on 6.30, Ched. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Last game, you can tell that not one guy's pointing fingers. Everyone's kind of looking in the mirror and, and evaluating their own game first. And I think that's what it takes to be a great team. There's there's no selfish individuals in this room. We come together as a group after games like that. So I think that's a, um, a good characteristic of this team. That's why we've been able to bounce back. All right, there's Camp Talbot. Some comments after practice today. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Ched. Just want to catch up on some uh, text messages. Uh, Mike says, if Everly comes out with no compete in Game 4, I'd like to see Cassian moved up. Rocket says, if you look back on some classic NHL games, Oilers specifically, you practically had to take a beating to get a penalty call. Very few holding slash mugging calls obvious trips in the offensive end were called but other than roughing elbowing tripping and fighting nothing was called you could ride a guy with a hook for 130 feet before a call was made back then that's true there was a lot more obstruction interference 30 years ago gord says good afternoon reed blah 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 it's time for eberly to put up or shut up he keeps talking the talk but won't go to the tough areas of the ice eberly pouliot and deharnay won't be in this lineup next year they are dead weight any bigger stronger younger player can play good defense and has more incentive to battle that is from gord and uh i hope i'm saying this right but a boy says reed in a number of ways hockey is becoming unwatchable as a fan and an Oiler fan, it's hard to get interested in a game that ends 2-1 with a total of three scoring chances. The problem is threefold. The league has let goalie gear get to a point where goalies look more like the Michelin man than goaltenders. Second, coaches are rewarded for coaching defense first, second, and third. Offense is a second thought. Third and finally, the officiating is inconsistent and in many ways constrained by the league and the CBA. I've always been intrigued that those calls that are black and white are always made, like the puck being shot out for delay of game. If someone is cross-checked, well, you can roll the dice as to whether a penalty is called. The game is too dependent on the officials controlling the game and using their judgment. That's a uh, well-thought-out text to 6.30, All right, we got a break for the uh, news. We'll check in with Cam Moon for a couple things. His thoughts on a bit of a transformation for Ryan Nugent Hopkins this season. Remember, Cam covered it with the Red Deer Rebels. He'll also give us a quick preview of the Western Hockey League final. And uh, the King brothers from the Edmonton Eskimos, Ryan and Neil, are going to join us in studio. We'll keep going with your text. It's Inside Sports on Chad. 6.30 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.